Hey everyone, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I hope that you have some community around you to talk through these truths and concepts with. If you don't have community like that, we would love to invite you to be a part of Restore. You can get all the information about our church at restoreaustin.org. We would love to see you soon at one of our Sunday gatherings, and we hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Some of my most meaningful encounters with God have happened in some of the most unlikely places. A year ago, back in January of 2020, I was at a pastor's conference sponsored by one of our partners, an organization called World Vision. So once a year, they bring pastors in from all over the nation to kind of strategize on how we can all work together to better help support people in need, both in our country and all around the world. It was my first time to go, and I was so excited to be there. My first full day was January 10th, and it was all that I'd hoped for and more. We heard from pastors doing amazing things in really hard places. We heard from World Vision staff about how much clean water they'd been able to supply to folks over the last year. And then finally, we heard from a refugee, a guy named Vin Chung. Vin was three years old when his family fled South Vietnam by boat. Even though more than 200,000 Vietnamese refugees had already died at sea while trying to flee, circumstances were so dire that his family got in a boat and fled anyway. Vin and his family were rescued by World Vision's team and brought to the United States. They made it out and settled in Fort Smith, Arkansas, where Vin came to know the love of Jesus through World Vision and his local church. Today, he and his wife run a medical practice dedicated to raising money for people in need around the world, including a med spa where 100% of the profit is given away to support other people. I walked out of Vin's session that day into the lobby on such a high note. I was so excited to develop a deeper partnership with World Vision and to do everything I could to help people in need. As I prayed and dreamed about what was God, what God was going to do in and through our church family in this way, I sat down and I opened up my phone. And when I did, I saw that just minutes before, while listening to Vin tell his story, the state of Texas had issued an executive order preventing the resettlement of any refugees for the entire year of 2020. In a statement released alongside the executive order, government officials said, quote, we have a responsibility to dedicate any available resources to the people who are already here. I was heartbroken. Not only was Texas refusing to help people like Vin, who were fighting to escape their lives and escape horror that most of us can't even begin to imagine now, all the churches and nonprofits that I knew dedicated to helping refugees in our state wouldn't have anyone to serve over the next year. I got caught up reading more about the executive order and, and reading commentary, and then when I looked, I realized that I was late for dinner. So I quickly ordered a lift, and I ran outside to an appointment that I had to get to As I got into my lift, I was still super upset. I was sad and I was angry about the executive order, but now I'm also kind of anxious about being late. And so many of you know, like I'm quite the extrovert and I love making conversations with with anyone who wants to. So when I usually get into a ride share, I make conversation with the driver. Like it's just one of my very favorite things to do, but not this time, not this one. That evening, I just wanted to sit in silence. But I could sense that the driver probably felt that I was a little bit upset. So he tried to make some small talk, you know, cheer me up. 
Where are you from? Do you have any family? And then finally, why are you in town? When I told him I was there for a pastor's conference, the rest of the story just kind of spilled out. Then his family, the executive order, and my heartbreak about it all. The driver paused for a long time, and then he began to share some of his story. He was a refugee from the Middle East who had to be covertly evacuated from his home country because a local terrorist group found out that he was working as a translator for the Americans. He was resettled in the United States a couple of years before, and he and his family were doing their very best to make a life here. He said that a lot of people had helped along the way, but one person really stuck out, a pastor of a small church just down the road from his apartment. She had helped them get furniture, pots and pans to cook in, and even clothes for their kids before school started. Then he looked at me in the eyes in the rearview mirror, and he said, there's a lot of stuff that you can't control, but pastor, never stop trying to help. No matter what happens, you can't stop trying. Then he said, can I pray for you? By this time, I'm a mess of tears and snot in the back seat, you know, so I do my best to blubber out, yeah, yeah, of course. And he began to pray, and I swear to you, Jesus was in that lift with us. I felt strengthened and encouraged like I rarely have before or since as the Spirit of God worked through that man's prayer. It was one of those moments that I will never forget. Sometimes our most meaningful encounters with God happen in the most unlikely of places. I wonder if you have ever experienced God working in an unexpected person or place. Maybe it was in a conversation with a coworker, somebody you really don't know all that well, and you're just on a break or you walk by their desk and conversation strikes up and, and soon you're talking about spiritual things and you just really encounter God in that moment. Maybe it's over a casual dinner with your family. You guys don't usually talk religion. That and politics are always off the table, but this night is a little bit different. You start talking about spiritual things, and it's this beautiful moment that you'll never forget. One of my dearest friends had an experience like this on a park bench with the baby in her arms. as She sat there and felt God just wrap his arms around her and speak to her as she was struggling. Well, Jesus' life was full of encounters like this as well. We've seen them throughout this thing we're doing called A Year in the Life of Jesus. We started it back in August. But this morning, we're going to look at what seems to be, I think, the most unexpected encounter that Jesus ever had. In fact, it's the only time in Scripture where it says that Jesus was, quote, amazed at someone's faith. We find the story in Luke's account of Jesus' life, chapter 7, starting in verse 1. The verses will be on the screen, or you can check it on your Bible. Verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. So let me pause right there, and I want to kind of set the scene for us. So at this point in the story arc of Jesus' life, he has just finished his Sermon on the Mount which is this kind of vitally important teaching where Jesus lays out what the kingdom of God is like and how humanity should live inside of it. So he finishes the sermon and then he enters a town called Capernaum. And Capernaum was this Roman city located on the Sea of Galilee in what is modern day northern Israel. Now, it's important to know that this city was kind of a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles just meaning anyone who was not Jewish. 
Now, we're immediately introduced to the other main character of the story besides Jesus, this centurion. Now, centurion was a member of the Roman military, but they weren't frontline soldiers. They were more like military police who were tasked with maintaining order in various foreign countries Rome had conquered and then were occupying. So a lot of Roman soldiers kept on going, kept on getting to new nations and uh, conquering them and then occupying them and then moving forward. But they also left some Roman soldiers behind, centurions, to kind of keep the peace, so to speak. Centurions were actually the highest ranking non-commissioned officers or NCOs of their time overseeing 100 soldiers, which is where their name Centurion comes from. Now, the Centurions and the soldiers they oversaw, they were not well-liked. And often it was because of their own behavior. They were kind of crooked. A lot of them gained power and made money in nefarious ways. They would arrest people they didn't like. They would falsely accuse people and then make them pay fines that they often just pocketed themselves. In general, they were not very nice and they were not well-liked. But this centurion, he seems to be different than the average Roman soldier. So back to the story, verse 4. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. Now, that last sentence might seem kind of innocuous to us, but there are a ton of religious and societal customs being broken by Jesus visiting the home of a Roman soldier. But if people had been paying attention, they would have known that this wasn't anything new from Jesus. He is on a mission to love and welcome in all of humanity. We've seen this throughout his entire life. It starts with the angel announcing the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah or the Savior, the Lord. The birth of Jesus wasn't just good news for some people. The angel says it was good news for all people. The next time we see it is when he's still very young. Mary and Joseph take Jesus to be dedicated at the temple in Jerusalem, kind of a rite of passage for young Jewish boys. And there they meet a man named Simeon, whom God had told about the coming of Jesus as Messiah. Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and he says this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory of all of your people, Israel. Remember earlier I said Gentiles are non-Jewish people. So Simeon holds Jesus and says, this salvation, this child has brought salvation and he's brought it for both Jew and Gentile. His love is for all the nations. And then about 30 years later, Jesus launches his public ministry by preaching at his hometown synagogue. And during his sermon there, he says that he has come to proclaim the good news to the poor Freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed, and the year of the Lord's favor for all people. When his Jewish audience assumes he's only talking about them and not about anybody else, Jesus says this, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. 
And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Jesus says, yes, this is for the Jewish people, but it's not only for us. God's love and freedom is for everyone, including Gentile widows and Syrian military commanders. This was not okay to his audience. They, in fact, got so mad that those who they perceived as outsiders were now being included in God's family that they literally try to throw Jesus off a cliff and kill him. There's a great author, Danielle Mayfield, and she describes the scene like this. What made the crowd so angry? It's the most challenging, radical message of all. God is indeed rescuing, loving, and moving in the very communities that we would most like to exclude from the good news. Jesus wasn't attacked for speaking the truth about a God who demands sacrifice and obedience, who is only working out God's plan through a specific chosen people. The crowd rushed and tried to kill Jesus for saying the opposite for leaving out the bits about judgments against perceived enemies and for saying the kingdom would come from those we were taught to hate and despise, that God was not just on the side of the chosen few, but he had swung wide the gates of love. I love that. Jesus has swung wide the gates of love, and this is not a new plan. This has been the mission of God all along. So here we have Jesus on this mission to love and include all people. And he's making his way to the centurion's house. But he never actually arrives. Back to the story, Luke 7, verse 6. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Like I said a few minutes ago, this is the only time in scripture where Jesus is amazed by someone's faith. Actually, that's not precisely true. It's the only time in scripture where Jesus is amazed by someone's faith in a positive way. In Mark's account of Jesus's uh, sermon at his hometown synagogue that we just talked about a second ago, Mark says this, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He, that's Jesus, was amazed at their lack of faith. Those two passages are the only times in all of scripture where Jesus is amazed at someone's faith. In the first, he is amazed at the religious churchgoers' lack of faith. And in the second, he is amazed at the foreign soldiers' abundance of faith. Just let the dichotomy of those two statements sink in for a moment. No wonder Jesus is caught off guard. Many of the people who claimed moral high ground and religious authority were acting nothing like the God they claimed to serve. But this man, the centurion, who was regarded as unclean and outside of God's family, displayed a Christ-likeness Jesus had never come across before. 
I tell you, Jesus said, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So what made the centurion's faith so great? What made Jesus stop in amazement when he heard about this guy? Well, I think the easiest way to say it is that even though this Roman centurion possessed incredible power and privilege, he spent his time humbly serving others. He spent his time humbly serving others. The Roman centurion was a majority culture man occupying a high-ranking position in the most powerful nation on earth. But instead of continuing to feed the sinful systems of oppression that he was born into, he used his privileged position to humbly serve others. Remember, the centurion had done so much to serve the marginalized community in Capernaum that they actually beg Jesus to help him. Remember what they say to the centurion? This man deserves to have you do this, Jesus. He loves our nation and has built our synagogue. That's the witness that these Jewish folks give about the centurion. While other Roman soldiers were making illegal arrests and extorting money from the people they were in charge of, this centurion was humbly serving. He was building synagogues. He was loving the people that he ruled. He was loving the people in his community. And he was using his position of privilege to help however he could. But it doesn't stop there. Not only does the centurion humbly serve the people in Capernaum, he actually humbles himself below a low-class Jewish man. He tells Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Y'all, I can't stress enough how completely incredible the centurion's posture is here. He is an elite Roman soldier, one of, if not the most powerful person in all of Capernaum, humbly placing himself below a poor, itinerant Jewish teacher. And it isn't even for his own benefit. He does it on behalf of his sick servant. No wonder Jesus was so amazed at the centurion's faith. Even though they'd never met before, this man already practiced the values of God's kingdom that Jesus had just finished preaching about in the Sermon on the Mount. He was already living the kind of life that Jesus came to show humanity how to live. Remember, we're in this series called Kingdom Incarnate, and it's all about how Jesus incarnates or embodies the kingdom of God. We're walking through stories of how he demonstrates God's kingdom through everything from huge miracles with big crowds to small interactions with everyday people. In everything he did, Jesus came to show us how to be truly human, the way God designed us to live, how to love people, how to trust and submit to God in every area of our lives, how to care for the hurting and needy among us. But this story is so unique in that Jesus is not the only character demonstrating the kingdom of God. The most unlikely of people, a Roman centurion, is so accurately representing what God desires a human to be like that Jesus is overcome with amazement. He stops walking, turns around, and announces to the big crowd following him that he has never seen anything like it. I have not 
found such great faith, not even in Israel. In a world full of prideful leaders, this Roman centurion spent his time humbly serving others. And that's exactly what God calls us to do. Later in his life, Jesus would say it like this to his followers. In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, and yet they call themselves, quote, friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And listen, the leader should be like a servant. The leader should be like a servant. I wonder if the disciples remembered the Roman centurion when Jesus talked about the great being a servant. I bet they did. Because in a world full of prideful leaders, the Roman centurion spent his time humbly serving others. And in our world full of prideful leaders today, we are called to spend our time humbly serving others too. Like my Lyft driver said, so many things in life are completely beyond our control. The country we're born into, the decisions our leaders make, the ethnic group we belong to, the family we're born into, the amount of household wealth that family has, and so much more. We can't control any of that. But every single one of us can control how we treat people. I think this story has such a profound impact on me personally because I've realized how much I have in common with a typical Roman centurion. I am a highly privileged majority culture man born into the most powerful country in the world. And I didn't do anything to deserve it. And like every Roman centurion in the first century, I have a choice to make day in and day out. Do I lord my privilege over others? Or do I use whatever privilege I have to humbly serve others? I want to be like the Roman centurion in this story. Because he shows us it's not about renouncing our privilege or even apologizing for it. It's about using whatever power we have to help those with less. It's about using whatever advantages we have to help those with less. It's about using whatever resources we have to help those with less. My friends, we have inherited a world and a nation marred by oppression and inequality. You and I didn't design it. We didn't build it this way but we are part of it right now. And that means we have the responsibility to do everything in our power to make it the way God's kingdom was supposed to be. And Jesus taught us to pray. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is our call. That is our responsibility. And I believe that all starts with humbly serving our fellow human. 53 years ago this week, on February 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. preached a sermon at Ebenezer Baptist Church. That sermon would end up being his last. Just two months later at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, he was killed. But that day, at Ebenezer Baptist, Dr. King concluded his message by saying this, if you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, that's wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. 
but recognize that he who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. And this morning, the thing I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. No matter your position in this world, no, how much, no matter how much power or privilege or lack of both you have, no matter your age, race, gender, socioeconomic status, or sexual orientation, all of us can humbly serve others. As Dr. King says, you can be that servant. You can be that servant. Let me close by giving you one real life example of what it could be like if we all decided to use whatever we have to humbly serve others. After that pep talk and prayer from my Lyft driver, I knew he was right. There's a lot of stuff in this world we can't control, but we must never stop trying to help. So after dinner, I went back to the conference and I, I pulled aside a World Vision staff member I knew named Liz Mendoza. And I told her of our desire to humbly serve folks in need. And she told me all about this amazing initiative where churches are paired with under-resourced communities around the world through child sponsorship. Their model centers around holistic community development and allows for entire townships to be uplifted through these child sponsorships. So I talked to Pastor CG and other members of our team here at Restore, and we decided this is what we wanted to do. This is what we needed to do. So in February of last year, Liz came up to Austin, and together we presented this opportunity to humbly serve to our church family. And you stepped up big time. That day, our church family sponsored 40 children in Bangladesh. And because of World Vision's community development focus, that means that 200 families are being given the resources to combat extreme poverty through our ongoing partnership with them. That's just one example. Imagine how much good we could do in this world if we took seriously Jesus' call to humbly serve others. Imagine how many people would be exposed to the amazing love of Jesus. Imagine how many people would experience the abundant life that he offers. There's a reason that Jesus was stopped in his tracks and amazed by the centurion's humble, servant-hearted faith. Because faith like that, it changes everything. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful for the humble Roman centurion. One of the most unlikely heroes in the biblical story. But we all have much in common. God, I pray that we would follow this Roman centurion's example, ultimately following the Son of God, Jesus Christ's example, 
as one who humbly serves others. And God, we pray that as we do that, as we step out into this world and humbly serve others, that you would use that humble service to expose people to your love for them that they would grab a hold of it, that free gift of love and life that you offer, that they would be enraptured in it, engulfed in it, God, and they would experience that abundant life that you seek to give them. And it would be this exponential effect that as we humbly serve others, that, that they meet you and then humbly serve others and then they meet you and humbly serve others, God. You would start this beautiful revolution through humble service. As we close together with this beautiful song, For the One, I pray that it would not just be words that we sing, but it would be a prayer that we pray. And it would not be a prayer that we leave here now, but it would be a prayer that we take with us out into the world, out into our day-to-day lives, that you would give us a heart to love those who you love which you've made so clear is every single person. Give us the power to do this through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.